Hi, this is Father Simon, your friend in cyberspace. I hope you can enjoy one of our favorite shows of the past year, and I hope that you and your family have a very Merry Christmas and a truly blessed New Year. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. It has any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, this is an exciting day. I am coming to you from the beautiful Lincolnshire Studios which are still a work in progress. When I arrived at the studio not long ago, there was a tech underneath the desk. Fascinating things, I thought, hmm. But here we are, and I think you're hearing me, and I'll be hearing you, and hopefully we'll be hearing the Lord. That said, let us pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, let us do it. Let us open the big book on the coffee table. We have the beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes uh, is, it, it means the assemblyman. Uh, it's, it's called Koheleth in, uh, the word is Koheleth in Hebrew, because the kahal is the assembly. And uh, I've shared with you that the word ecclesia, from which most languages get the word for church, means assembly. And when we think of an assembly, we just think of, of um, you know, going down to the school hall, and hearing a nice lecture on traffic safety instead of taking the math quiz. That's not what the word means. The closest we have in English to assembly is jury duty. It is required. Uh, and if you don't go to the assembly, you are going to be in trouble. You'll be fined. And in, in the, every, every town had its assembly, its ecclesia, its kahal. Uh, it's a wider thing. If you didn't go, you, you might lose your citizenship. Uh, it was a very serious um, Demand. The uh, <clears throat> Hebrew word kahal is a little a little bigger. I think it meant the 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 coming together of the people, especially at the great pilgrimage festivals. It was the people gathered together, not just of a city but of Israel. All that said about uh, the ecclesia, Ecclesiastes comes from the Greek word ecclesia. There you go. See. It all fits together nicely. So we got this reading from the assemblyman, this guy whose uh, job it is to convene the assembly. Vanity of vanities, says Koheleth. Now, Koheleth is 
the assemblyman. I, I, I think I've covered that. I've, I've beat that horse <laughs> enough. Enough. Moving on. Vanity of vanities. This is an interesting word because it, it means a puff of wind. That's literally what it means. It's just a breath, a puff of wind and uh, a vapor. And when you have, in Hebrew, when you have uh, vanity of vanities or song of songs, it means the big deal. Uh, song of songs means the best of songs. But in this context, vanity of vanities would mean the most vain thing. Let me see. Once again, uh, I've, I've lost my mouse. Ah, there's my mouse. Okay. my I have these all the I have all these computers in front of me and the mouse just keeps wandering to other computers cheese next time all right moving along uh the the vanity van it's just a puff of wind all things are are just a big puff of wind so vanity vanity means vanity of vanities means big puff of wind uh what profit has a man from all the labor at which he toils under the sun one generation passes, another comes, but the world forever stays. Well, I don't know about forever, but relative to the generations, yeah. This is one of the most frustrating sections of Scripture, and I think people are stymied by it. Uh, that well, it means there's no meaning. You know that 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 there's nothing new. There's no purpose. There's nothing going on. Um, uh, why why is it that we we uh, um, even bother because, well, it's not going to work. Well, let me pull this up. <laughs> okay, hold on. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Okay. Okay. Let me let me press an enter button. A new computers. Oh, there we go. Is that right? Oh, good. Now if I can find... Ah, there's the... Once again, my mouse is lost there. Okay, and I'm clicking on it. He's going to play the elevator music again. No, all right. I wanna, I wanna see what the word for Earth is because that might be more interesting. Uh, ah, it's the, it means the Earth. Hi, uh, it's the the land remains. Um, you know that that it's very interesting when Jews uh, fill out a marriage contract. Uh, they don't put down in Chicago in the state of Illinois. They put down in Chicago by Lake Michigan. Because, you know, countries, they come and go. Big deal. You know, it's not going to be there. For, well, of course, the American, the state of Illinois is going to be there forever. No, it's not. Lake Michigan will probably be still, still be there when there's no Illinois and even when there's no Chicago. This is a kind of realism that, that even seeps its way into Jewish contracts. Well, uh, what has been done, that will be. What has been done, that will be done. Nothing is new under the sun. Even the thing of which we say, see, this is new, has already existed in ages that preceded us. This is just really, really discouraging when you read it. But I really think that the book of Ecclesiastes is talking about life without the hope that we have in Christ. Let's go to the gospel because I think it illuminates uh, the, uh, um, the first reading in a way. This is about Herod. Which Herod? Herod the Tetrarch. You got to remember, when you see Herod in the Bible, it's really kind of a last name, a family name. So you got Herod the Tetrarch, who was actually, uh, let's see, he was the uh, son of Herod the Great. And he he was the the son of Herod's, ah, maybe fourth, fifth, sixth wife, Malthaki. Uh, um 
she was uh, one of his many wives. Uh, and uh, the, the family, if you look, try to look at a genealogy of the Herod family, it, it's more complicated than a, than a football pass diagram. So moving along here. Well, he was utterly intrigued by um, John the Baptist. Now, the word tetrarch, I should explain the word tetrarch. Oh, I'll use that for the word of the day. Uh, but this is this is not Herod the Great. This is not Herod that killed the babies. This is his son. Uh, <clears throat> and he was completely fascinated by John the Baptist. Um, so John has been raised from the dead. I killed John when he heard about Jesus. Others were saying Elijah has appeared. Not very interesting. In the book of, I think, 1 Kings, um, uh, the king of... Israel, of, of the northern part of Israel, uh, is told that uh, there was a man who was prophesying, and the king, I believe it was Ahaz, he says, oh, what was he like? Well, so he was wearing a leather a leather girdle and, and uh, a camel's hair coat. And in other words, the description of John the Baptist is a description of Elijah the prophet. And so this idea of, I've heard people say, well, see, there's reincarnation in the Bible because Elijah came back. That's not what it is. He came in the spirit and power of Elijah, the scripture says. And uh, the description of John the Baptist <clears throat> brings us back to the description of Elijah that we have in, in the Old Testament. So that saying, uh, Elijah has appeared. Uh, and then one of the ancient prophets has arisen. But Herod said, John, I beheaded who then is this about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. Now, let us look at the first reading. Vanity of vanities that you read, it's all going to be forgotten. Nobody's going to remember any of this stuff. They're not going to remember you. They're not going to remember the great things you did. It is fascinating how the great in the world really, <coughs> excuse me, think they're great. Well, they're not. They're actually kind of mediocre. And um, uh, I think back on the... Excuse me for just a moment. I have a cough button here somewhere. I bet, don't I? But <coughs> it is. I'm new in the studio. C-O-F. Oh, there it is. Okay, I found the cough button. Excuse me. There. Well, a cough button. Who knew? All right, moving along. The greats in the ancient world really thought they were all that and, and, and a side of fries. Uh, they weren't. Uh, when you look at them, they were. This was a time in which the vast majority of people were poor, simple people. They were people who lived off the land, and uh, of course, um, farming is difficult now. But then it was it was just pure gamble. Uh, who knew if the crop would come in? If who knew if you'd if you'd starve to death or not? Uh, you were all, you know, the farmer to this day lives between God and the ground, they say. Well, these were poor people, agrarian people, but there were a few among them who were very rich, and they really lived well. And this would have been that small ruling class that collaborated with Rome, and this was the Herod family. So they thought they were great. Now, interesting, a lot of people, uh, you know, think that the, these were oriental potentates, and uh, when you see a, a Bible movie, uh, for instance, in even in uh, uh, the Passion of the Christ, you see uh, the Herod uh, to whom Jesus is brought, and that would have been this Herod, portrayed as a silly ringleted uh, 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 Oriental patriarch with uh, uh, 
exotic animals and exotic people around him. That wasn't the way they were. They were they were Greco-Romans. They were. I imagine Herod uh, Antipas, this Herod the Tetrarch, uh, spoke uh, Greek and Latin better than he spoke Aramaic. Um, the children of Herod, uh, the grandchildren uh, of Herod, were raised. Uh, certainly, the grandchildren. I should have looked that up, but they were raised in the palace in Rome, on the Palatine Hill. Uh, they they ate Italian food, and I bet they didn't. <laughs> the voice might just said Matriciana. I don't know if they had Matriciana back then, but they ate well. Uh, <clears throat> so they lived in the palace. Uh, uh, they were educated as Romans. You see, the Romans would take uh, really hostages from their client kings to guarantee the good behavior of those client kings. And the second advantage of it was that they would be Romanized, and they would be on the side of Rome. They would feel themselves Roman, and um, didn't always work out, but it, it, it more often than not it did. So this Herod Antipas is is Roman. I mean, he is he is in contact uh, and friends with the most powerful people in the world. Isn't that something? I mean, they were they were fist and glove. They thought they were all that. Well, not one of them would be remembered except in their association with Christ. When you think about it, that this, this poor Galilean carpenter, this, this guy in the, in the building trades, is the only reason that these great and important people are remembered. Now, to me, this reveals something very salient about, about the passages, that without Christ, no matter how great and grand you are, you're nobody, that you will be forgotten to history. Herod the Great and his sons and his grandsons, though they were close collaborators with the most powerful people in in the ancient Mediterranean world, and uh, they had wealth beyond the imagining of of ordinary people and power beyond the imagining of ordinary people. They were nobody and they were nothing. Their lives were puffs of wind. Their lives were vanities. And so— this, I think, is the meaning of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's all a puff of wind if you don't have Christ. Nothing endures. Nothing is new. Nothing has uh, the quality of, of, of permanence and, and real value without Christ. That, to me, is what these passages mean. And I think it's historically true. You know, Herod's a nobody. Who would know about Herod? Um, the entire rediscovery of the ancient world uh, was impelled by a desire to learn about the Bible. Arch- the the archaeology, the science of archaeology, is really the child of biblical archaeology. The the uh, uh, European. Uh, <laughs> Adventurers uh, went into the Middle East and they went into uh, Greece and Egypt, uh, impelled by a quest for the world of the Bible. And these things would have been completely forgotten. The only reason that we remember the greats of the ancient world is because, well, people started looking for the, the, the world of the Bible. Uh, I think it's utterly fascinating thing and it's historically Absolutely true. So, my life, your life, who's going to notice in a few years? Well, 
the Lord will. We will never be forgotten to the Lord. And one day we will be known to all uh, when we stand in glory before the Lord if we persist in our faithful and die in a state of grace. That said, let us go to a break and we will come back with letters. I have got so many letters. Uh, and they're, they're good ones. Oh, and we'll open the phones at 888-914-9149. Today, we'd like to thank Domingo, who's listening in California, for donating his BMW. Join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles by visiting relevantradio.com slash car today. That's pretty good. Oh, my producer, the, the voice in my head. It's great fun to hear what he's going to to present for our entertainment. All right, let's go to letters. Oh, once again, ah, there, I found my mouse. Okay. All right, now this is, uh, uh, oh, 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 I found that, and I mentioned it the other day, but now I've forgotten where I found it. It clearly says what was in the Ark of the Covenant and one of them was the, a book of the law. So, uh, not in the Ark, Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies. It wasn't actually in the, the Ark. So, I, I did answer that. Uh, when did I answer it? Or will, am I, I, At some point, I answered it. Moving along here, I think yesterday. Okay, this one, let's see. Did I, did I do this one? Okay, click. Okay, oh dear. Um, I don't know what that is. It seems... <laughs> Wait a minute. Ah, oh, okay. Something horrible has happened. No, no, no. It's good. It's fine. I found my mouse and I opened the letter. I have been, this is from an anonymous person. I have been teaching faith formation at the junior high level. Oh, I think I did deal with this one, but I'm going to deal with it again. This year, there was a student in my class. Oh, I did deal with this one who claims to be transgender. The DRE said just to refer to the student by preferred pronouns because it was requested by the student's parents. I talked to the pastor, and he said he disagrees with the pronoun change, but that it's important for gender-confused students to be educated in the faith. You know, if I were in your shoes, I, I suspect I would probably uh, look elsewhere. Because, because to be educated in the faith, to be really educated in the faith, is to realize that... Uh, um, what they call a sex change operation, which this person is, I don't think that they're involved in a sex change operation, but that is an important part of the transgender movement. Um, it, it's mutilation. And the mutilation of the human body is absolutely forbidden. It is also clear in the scriptures that male and female, he made them. He didn't you know, this is our gender is a gift from the Lord. And to say, no, no, I don't want what the Lord has given. Oh, you just don't understand, Father Simon. You're right. I don't. Um, if there, you know, people talk about follow the science, follow the science. Well, I get a kick out of the idea that the same people who would who would 
use that word, follow the science, are convinced the Shroud of Turin is a fraud when it has been, uh, the debunking has been debunked pretty thoroughly. Um, but oh no, follow the science, they follow the science. They found it with a carbon test. Well, it was a, a flawed carbon test and it wasn't done properly. Those same people, though, would say, well, you know, if, if uh, a child or a person experiences themselves as a woman, they're a woman. Follow the science. Every cell in a body has either two X chromosomes or an X and a Y. And that's the science. And you may think that you are a different gender. But it is not scientifically verifiable. Uh, and, and God gave us our gender. Uh, and to say, no, no, I don't want what God has given. How often have I told you <laughs> the sin of Eve was to take something that God had not given? Um, Grace is what's given. Sin is what's taken. If God has made me um, uh, five feet tall, well, that's a gift from God. If God has made me six foot six inches tall, like some people I know, well, that too is a gift from God. Uh, that <laughs> The voice in my head who's six foot six inches tall just said most of the time, definitely not on an airplane. So you catch my drift. This kid is not going to learn the Catholic faith uh, if you pander to what amounts to uh, unreality, and and if if uh, you know if if the the parish is not going to teach the faith, then maybe you need to find a parish where you can teach the faith in its entirety. <sighs> maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe maybe the pastor with his uh, peaceful approach is wiser than I, but um, I was a pastor for a long time, and uh, truth is truth. You, you speak it with love, but you speak it. All right, let's move along. I, I'm just utterly, I'm old. I'm totally blindsided by, you know, the insanity that we're living in now. Who could have imagined it? The authors of 1984 and Brave New World they kind of hinted at this sort of thing, but I don't think they could have imagined the totality of it and and the collapse of the society. And I I think that's what it is. When you deny love, oh, good grief, I'm off on a tooth, sorry. You know, I, I said a while ago that, that um, artificial birth control uh, – was an unmitigated disaster. Well, what do you mean? The population uh, control uh, was absolutely necessary. We were going to overpopulate the world. You don't know that's so. We were all going to be dead 50 years ago. Um, but then we figured out how to grow more food. <clears throat> Still, we're running out of Earth's resources. We haven't yet. And at this time in history, underpopulation is the big problem. Not that we don't have too many people. Enough people. We've got plenty of people. We just have very few young people. And the consequence of artificial birth control has been to create, I think, a generation of neglected, lonely children. And how can the neglected, lonely children get a little attention? Well, mommy, 
I decided I'm a boy. Mommy, I decided I'm a girl. Oh, you poor dear, I'll support you in this decision, no matter how stupid and unscientific it is. We have a generation of children who are desperately alone because we've decided that we don't want children. As the reading the other day, um, where the Lord says, He who receives a child receives me. He who receives me receives the one who sent me. We've turned our backs on the creator of the universe. And as, as, a, as a consequence, our society is collapsing. And the people are paying for it. It's the 1.2 children that we have. They're desperately lonely. And, uh, and they're getting lonelier. It's, uh, there's, I saw an interesting article about uh, old people get lonely for good reason. You know, the people they loved and knew are dying off and families change. But young people are as sad and lonely <laughs> as old people. And uh, I think that that's, that's, that should tell everything. So um, if you got five or six kids, those kids don't have the time or energy to realize that their life isn't perfect. At least that was true for me. So, you know, and life was beautiful. At any rate, I, I don't know if I'm making any sense about this, but once again, I would agree. Follow the science regarding the Shroud of Turin, which has some pretty good science behind it, and gender. <laughs> Follow the science. All right, let's move along here. All right, this is a fun one. <laughs> Why in every Mass is the priest sometimes whispering when he prays? He's not talking to you. He's talking to God who can hear very well. I joke, I joke. But no, actually, I'm, I'm, I mean it. Uh, in the old Mass, there were three tones, three volumes. <clears throat> There was audible, semi-audible, and inaudible. There were prayers that the priest was supposed to whisper. Well, that, what, I can't hear it. He's not talking to you. And now, of course, I think personally the microphone, which I have one right in front of me, a very nice one, uh, a nice shiny new one. Uh, the microphone was definitely the ruin of the charismatic renewal on uh, the Pentecostal movement because you get some somebody with a microphone in their hand um, and it's a heady brew and they do like to uh, run the prayer meeting. And I was in, I've been at prayer meetings where there were 10 microphones and five people in the congregation. This is nuts. But the microphone has also uh, been much misused, I think, in the Mass. Well, I, I need to be able to hear the Mass. Why? Father, move that cross. I can't see the whole. Well, why do you have to see it? Why do you have to hear it? These are prayers. Look at the Mass. It is not a prayer meeting. It isn't a gathering of people to be simply entertained or instructed. It's a prayer. I say this constantly. From the offertory on, it is a prayer addressed to the Father in the person of Christ. Look at the you. In every circumstance, the you is addressed to God. Not in the consecration. Jesus says, take this, all of you, and eat of it and drink. That is, in a sense, a third-person you. We're talking to the Father. We're remembering in the presence of the Father what Jesus did. And we're saying to him, remember, Father, that Jesus said you, you should eat this and drink this. It's still the you, even though it's about the disciples, is addressed to the Father. It's in, a, it's in an illustration, in a sense, that's addressed to the Father. The you of the Mass is the Father with the exception of a few prayers before communion, which are addressed to the Son. 
And in the Old Mass, there was one prayer addressed to the Holy Spirit, Veni Sanctificator Omnipotens Eterni Deus. Come, Sanctifier, Almighty Eternal God. That prayer no longer exists in the Mass. And so in the Mass, we address only two people of the Trinity, and I think we should go back to addressing three. But that's just me, and I'm, I'm just kibitzing. It's, mass is still quite valid because the implication of, of, of things is that we're, we're in the spirit. But I digress. That's why there are whispered prayers in the Mass, because it is a prayer addressed to the Father. And they took out most of the whispering <laughs> in the liturgical changes, but they left some in so that we would not forget so I think that's a very good question, very pertinent. So, uh, and once again, the mouse has escaped me. Good grief. This is very frustrating. You know, uh, that's all right. Uh, eventually, I will find the mouse because ah, I found it. I found it. Phew. Okay. Maybe that's what the tech was doing under my desk before the show started, looking for mice. All right, moving along here. Let me click another one. Okay. Um, this is from Alice, explaining the Holy Trinity. Again, we'll explain the Holy Trinity. Uh, my question, were I or anyone else to encounter a devout Orthodox Jew or Muslim who, in the course of an unlikely conversation, made the accusation that we Christians practice idolatry, the Holy Trinity represents three gods, not one god. Um... Uh, And so we're just idolaters. Again, I I think I said this very recently. The question isn't the existence of God. God exists by definition. That greater than which nothing exists is God. And as the voice in my head pointed out, that was St. Anselm. Now, uh, yes, who, what? Prosologian? Okay, that sounds good. (laughs) That was live, right? No, Oh, the voice in my head. Say it again, voice in my head. Tell the people. I think it's called the Prosologion from St. Anselm. Might, might be the Prosologion. I'll look it up. He'll look it up. He's a smart cookie. Well, I'm moving. He really is. Um, the, uh, the question isn't, does God exist? God exists by definition. The greatest reality is God. If the universe is somehow self-creating or has always been here, then the universe is God. What we believe, the question then is not, is there a God? What is the nature of God? And we believe what Jesus taught us, that God is love. Sacrificial love. Not God loves, but is love itself. God is love itself. And uh, St. Thomas Aquinas talked about God being the very act of being. He is not, he is not a, a being. He is being itself. And, and uh, he's the essay. He's the one who is. All that said, yes, yes, it is prosologion of St. Anselm. <clears throat> See, he told you he was a smart cookie. So, if God is love, who's he going to love? Well, he loves us. If God is love, if his very existence is love, if we were all he had to love, he would be dependent on his creation for his existence. Now, you love your spouse. You love your children. But your spouse and your children occasionally drive you crazy. A young man and a young woman marry, and they are absolutely in love. They want to be one, truly one in soul and being and body and everything. And then 
He discovers that she likes the room warm and he likes it well air-conditioned. First flying the ointment. And of course, he squeezes the toothpaste in the middle and she doesn't, and so on. In our human imperfection, we are incapable of being truly one. God is not hindered by these imperfections. Being infinite and perfect, he can be truly one while being three. I can't do it. You can't do it. But God, who can do all things, can do it. I remember uh, Sister Mary Agnes Cunningham, a, a wonderful woman, a saint who taught me fathers of the church. And if anybody knows Sister Mary Agnes, who I believe is still with us, give her a big kiss for me. Uh, she, she did so much for me and taught me so much. Uh, well, um, uh, she used to bring us to uh, uh, kind of. She had a friend who was Jewish, who, who uh, had been trained as a, a violinist and was in med school when the war broke out, and he fled with his family, kept his family alive by going from country to country, a, a heroic man. I don't think uh, the story of his life has ever been told. It should be. Werner Angris, he was an amazing man, and he came to America, and all he wanted to do was open a machine shop. And uh, they said, you can't do that. You have to be a concert violinist or a doctor. And so he went to Israel and learned his trade on the kibbutz and had one of the, it was the only garage I've ever been in that had Beethoven playing on the intercom. But moving along, she loved to, to, to take her students to meet Werner and he would take us out to lunch and then bait us and say, you know, God has a son. We Jews look at this as a step backward. The Greek and Roman gods had sons and daughters. You know, God can't have a son. And I looked at Werner and I said, who are you to say what God can and can't do? And he looked at me and he looked at Sister Agnes and said, first time one of your students has ever had an answer for me. So even then I was a piece of work. So it was great fun. But this is true. God in his infinity and in his perfection can be three in one. And we believe he is three in one because if we believe what Jesus revealed, that he is love. So what do you say to the Orthodox Jew or the Muslim? You say, you cannot say in your religion what God is. A Muslim will not, will not. They won't even call God Father. A devout Muslim, if you call God Father in his presence, he'll walk out on you. I think Scott Hahn had that experience. Dr. Hahn, <clears throat> well... A Jew will occasionally say God is uh, almighty, God is, but they're not going to pin down what God is. They can say what God isn't. We can say, we believe that we can say what God is because we have encountered him in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's what we believe. And we believe it because he rose from the dead. Uh, and, and he manifested his divinity on the cross and in the resurrection and in our lives. That's what we've encountered. We've encountered God in a way that you guys haven't, um, but you can. Uh, and we believe what Jesus taught us, that God is love, and hence God is a trinity. Father and Son, eternally in love with each other, that love uh, um, in itself, perfect is the person of the Holy Spirit. That's what you say. <clears throat> it isn't about does God exist, what is the nature of God. We believe that Jesus taught us God is love, hence God is a trinity. That's what I would say. And they'll say, you're crazy. And I'll say, maybe. <laughs> but I know God 
in a wonderful way, and I'm very blessed by it. All right, let's see here. What are we doing time-wise? I think I can do one more letter just for the fun of it. Have I got a letter here? Oh, I don't tell me. I. Oh, we got a lot. Well, I'm going to go. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll go to the word of the day. And we do have a lot of lines open, lots and lots of lines, 888 888- 914-9149-888-914-9149. Oh, this is an old folky song. Uh, 500 miles. G C and D seventh. The Catholic Order of Foresters, the sponsor of our studio line, is hiring today. Several positions available throughout the U.S. Visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester to learn more about how you can find your vocation with COF, an Illinois Life Insurance Society not licensed in all states. Take out the papers and the trash. I have no idea what brings this song on. Yakety yak, maybe that's it. (laughs) All right, let us continue with the yakking by going to the word of the day. Somehow that's louder in the studio, the gong. It's great fun. All right, the word of the day is tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch. Well, this was Herod, I'm pretty sure I have it on one of my many gizmos. I just should look it up to make sure, sure. Yes, um... No good grief. Where did I? No, no, I got it. Okay, yes. Ah, okay. Well, that's nothing's cooperating. It's well, they know. The, the, well, he was he was Herod Antipas, um, and he was a son of Herod the Great in Malthaki, as I've said. And um, he ended up. He died in Spain. He was exiled by the Romans eventually, and um, he had. Uh, he was the one with the the dancing girls and Herodias and all this sort of thing. Well, um, the Tetrarch, this is the important thing. Uh, the, uh, the, the Maccabees ruled a kingdom, uh, a fairly extensive kingdom. By our lights, it would be pretty small. And then Herod the Great kind of inveigled himself into the Maccabee family, and uh, his father had worked for the Maccabees. He worked for the Maccabees, and... Uh, he uh, killed the Maccabees and um, married their, the last surviving princess, Mariamne of the Maccabees, and had the Romans declare him king of the Jews. And so he ruled a kingdom that stretched essentially from close to Damascus down to the border of Egypt. It was almost the biblical kingdom of David. And he was very powerful. Well, when he died, the Romans were not going to leave that much power in anyone's hands because the Holy Land was very important to the Romans. It was, it was kind of the weak link in the chain of, of countries that surrounded the Mediterranean. And it was hemmed in by a desert that was fairly impassable. And so if they had a dependable uh, Roman client on the throne— They didn't have to worry about it. They could keep all their troops up in Syria, where there was more danger of invasion by the the Persians. Um, So, that said, Herod was great. He was unflinchingly loyal. But when he died, they weren't going to leave all that power in one hand. So they divided the kingdom up among four. 
tetra, tetras is, uh, or is it tetra in Greek, is four, and arche is uh, leadership. So a tetrarchy is a ruler, a tetrarch is a ruler of a, of a fourth part. So the, 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 this kingdom of Herod was divvied up among his children. So that's what tetrarch means. He was the ruler of a quarter part of the kingdom. And uh, it would have been hmm, a pretty small-sized county, actually. But it still produced enough wealth to, uh, to ensure a luxurious life. So that said, let us go to phone calls. There is something the matter with your fin. No, my phone's fine, I think. Well, we'll see. I'm in a new place. Tom, are you with us? Tom from Minneapolis? Yes, Father. Yes, uh, uh, Father, I am here. Father, Doctor, Father. I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm not even a nurse. Okay, <laughs> let's move <laughs> along. Okay. Tom, what can I do for you? Well, Father, I go, I go to daily mass at a local church mm-hmm. pretty frequently, and, and I would say uh, two times out of five, uh, the, the priest... Uh, just skips the prayers of the faithful. He Ooh, goes right from yeah. the the um, the gospel and uh, skips and goes right over and starts uh, um, bringing the bread and wine onto the table, mm, yes. onto the altar. Yes. Well, as I understand it, the prayers of the faithful are optional. They were not part of the old Mass. And when we started them uh long ago and far away they were optional i think they still are they aren't a necessary part of the liturgy because they're composed for each separate liturgy uh they're not right. part of the immutable right. liturgy so um yeah that that's that's an option i believe if i'm wrong again i'd love to know but uh i i don't think they're they are necessary to the mass so, okay, that explains it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's all I need to know. All right. Yeah, and, and you know sometimes the prayers of the faithful aren't prayers of the faithful at all. They're they're uh, sermons of yeah. the liturgy committee. I can't stand it when the right. prayers right. of the faithful <laughs> are five mini sermons by everyone on the liturgy committee who's got a an axe to grind. But that's just me. I want to grind my own axe. Oh. All right. Okay. Well, thank you. I'm glad you listened. Thanks, Father. All right. And Thanks again, if, if I'm wrong, I would like to know. I'm going to have to look that up in the in the general instruction of the Roman Missal, but I believe it's optional, as is the sign of peace, actually. Uh, okay. The greeting of peace is necessary. The exchange of the sign of peace is, is I think, more optional. All right. Now optional. we have— an, Okay, is, thanks, Father. God bless and thank you. Nancy from Chicago, Illinois. Hi. Um, Father, I have a question. I am a CCD— um, teacher mm-hmm. and you mentioned something about the transgender yes um and i'm i'm just wondering um i have been at this one class level for two years now because it's pre and confirmandi mm-hmm. um segments but um there's uh there's some students that in particular are um um showing signs of um, strong emotional instability. Mm-hmm. And um, in this last year, I saw almost a consolidation of becoming um, very effeminate, mm-hmm. this, yeah. uh, these, two, these two young men. And I'm, I'm just wondering now, they're eighth graders. I'm wondering, um, and one looks actually very sickly mm-hmm. and uh, physically sickly. Yeah. And I'm just wondering... Um, what would you suggest in um, 
would you talk to the parents or would you just leave it alone? I mean, I'm more inclined to just leave it alone, but well, every week I feel. You know, I, I, my, my tendency would be to, to, to leave it alone or you could simply say, you know, I've noticed that you've looked a little tired. Is there anything that you need help with? You know, um, you could do that. And they'll say, no, I'm fine. So, okay. You know, uh, Right. The, the, the thing the, is, I the, think they are seeing therapists. Well, that, that's and, fine. And, that's fine. You know, we have we have a limited are, authority in in our ability to intervene in their lives. Their parents are ultimately responsible for them. In other words, if a parent says to me, "You must call my child," he those she is quite obviously a she. Say, I'm responsible for my own uh, my own uh, conscience. Whereas the opposite is also true, that these parents are responsible for their own consciences. And as long as the children are under their guidance for the, the, the formation of their children. So we have the first teachers of, of children, we say in the baptismal ritual, are, the, are the, the parents. And if the parents are not choosing to intervene, our ability to intervene is very limited unless we have indication that there is some kind of uh, emotional or physical abuse, and then intervening is is essential. But short of that, um, uh, we don't have the power to intervene. Um, so uh, I would I would be very careful and just you, you teach the gospel and you know how do you bring a person to Christ you teach them to pray I would really push with uh, your class uh, the ability to pray if they know the Lord the Lord will take care of these things you know evangelism everyone says oh evangelism how do you evangelize you stand on the street corner and talk about Jesus no you don't somebody comes up to you and and says oh, I got these problems my life is difficult you say let me say a prayer with you. And close your eyes. And I would not recommend, especially a teacher to students, uh, um, that there be necessarily physical contact. It used to be you put your hand on the shoulder. These are not times for hand-shoulder touching. Uh, just have them close their eyes and say, you know, something like, Jesus, I know you love my friend, and I ask you to bless him, to bless her, to to help them find their way through this. In Jesus' name. You'd be amazed that that if you're talking to someone, if you can get someone to say you to Jesus— they will come to know the Lord. And that's really how you evangelize. And that's what I would recommend. If you can get a chance to pray with your class uh, in a very simple and direct way, that will probably do a lot of good. So I hope that helps a little. So let's go to uh, let's go to Sue from Frankfurt. Are you with us, Sue? Hello, Father. I have a quick question. So oftentimes we have ecumenical services. Yes. But when we pray, we're, we believe in the Trinity. Yes. And when you're with a Muslim, is that con- it's not the same God because they don't believe in the Trinity? Well, Am I- the the it's kind of nuanced. <laughs> the word God is an Indo-European word that probably means the one to whom prayers are addressed. In that sense, there's only one God. There's only one God who hears prayers. I remember I was on a plane going over the Atlantic, and it was a storm from <laughs> from the East Coast to, to Ireland. And, oh, everyone was queasy. And I'm, of course, there saying the rosary, and there's a Muslim woman across the aisle with her hands obviously in a gesture of prayer. And I raised my head to heaven and I said, Lord, eh, you who know all things, you know. So, you know, that, that they pray to the same God we pray to. 
uh, because there is but one God who hears prayers. However, if you read uh, the text of the Islamic text uh, throughout, it's clear that that to us that that some of it is lovely and some of it is utterly contradictory to our faith. Uh, for instance, uh, um, uh, the, the the verse of the sword: "Kill them when you find them." Uh, that's not. We can't believe that the God who spoke through Jesus uh, said that to Muhammad. Um, or, or if you suspect a woman of of rebellion, put her in the sleeping quarters and beat her. That's in Quran. And and we look at Saint Paul, who said, "No one." hurts his own body, but cherishes it, talking about the respect and the care that a man should have for his wife, even in her physical nature. So it's clear that, uh, that what is in the sacred text of, of their scriptures is contradictory. So uh, there's a problem there. However, we can be confident that the God—you know, this is always amazing to Muslims— that, that the God we love loves Muslims. And I think that should be our starting point for ecumenism with Muslims. And we do have so much in common. We, we essentially uh, um, honor the Ten Commandments. Uh, we might honor them differently in certain circumstances, but we have a great deal in common. So uh, to speak to God, <laughs> we speak to the same God. To listen to God, well, that's where the problem comes in. So the idea that... that uh, they worship a different God. It's a little more nuanced than that. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, I think you really have to, uh, I, I say this all the time, uh, when you can't speak Christ, you have to be Christ. And it is utterly intriguing if if someone, if a Muslim uh, 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 enters into dialogue with us, that they find out that the God whom we serve loves Muslims. Uh, that's that's utterly amazing to them, and um, so I, I you know I, I think that ecumenical ventures, even with people who don't uh, share our faith in the Trinity or in Christ, they're still pleasing to God. However, there has to be an honest ecumenism. We disagree about this. We agree about that. Uh, so I hope that helps a little. Yeah, it did help a lot. Thank you so much. All right, Sue. God bless. And, and um, you know, God is pleased by our attempts to love human beings. You see, he loves them all. I don't know. I'm, I don't think he, I've, you know, I always tell God, if you knew this person as well as I did, you wouldn't even like him. But then he says, I love him. I love them perfectly and infinitely. Oh, who are you going to trust? You or God? All right. Uh, we got time for one more question. Kate from Menominee Falls. What can I do for you real quickly? Yes. Hi, Father Simon. I just wondered if you saw the movie Life Mark yet. No, I... If you did, what did you think of it? Well, I didn't see it, but did you enjoy it? It's it's, uh, it's about adoption. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I loved it. Well, we adopted our daughter, and the birth parents, they got married eventually, and now they have four daughters. So it's all a wonderful, good thing. God is good. Yeah, I, I have some adopted nephews and nieces, and they're really my nephews and nieces. And speaking of... God is good. Well, Drew is coming up, and and he's going to try to make that point strongly. 